Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Melvin, and this episode is going to be different. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Daniel and I will discuss Kathy Yan's Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. A few weeks ago, Daniel texted me on Messenger. Hey man, I like Harley Quinn. Birds of Prey looks neat. Want to do a discussion episode? And now here we are, Cinematic Doctrine's first ever film discussion episode. This will be very different to the typical movie reviews, or better yet, audio essays that Cinematic Doctrine has previously offered. However, a lot of the process going into this episode has remained the same. Daniel and I still did our research. We still prepared some talking points. We still approach Birds of Prey's cultural talking points with a biblical perspective. Perhaps the biggest change you'll notice between this episode and any other film review we offer is that it will be far less eloquent. Even though that's fine, most podcasts aren't eloquent. For this episode, Daniel and I will talk about our immediate thoughts on Birds of Prey and how its R rating might negatively impact its themes of women's empowerment. We talk about its underwhelming opening weekend box office numbers and the many things keeping the Birds of Prey from taking flight. We dig into its connections with perhaps one of the worst superhero films ever made, Suicide Squad, and how that film may have impacted Birds of Prey in more negative ways than one. And finally, Daniel and I discuss the value of watching a film whose main character is a villain from start to finish, and lightly contrast that to last year's breakout comic book movie, Joker. All of that sounds really interesting, and if you don't have any grounding on what Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn is, let me get you up to speed so you're not lost in this episode. Harley Quinn is done. She's broken up with the Joker. She's on her own. But nobody knows it yet. Unfortunately, if anyone finds out that she's not connected with the Joker, she's dead. It was the Joker's manic control as a crime lord that kept her safe. No one was going to get back at Harley if Joker was around. But now they're split. They're done. It's over. She's on her own. But how long can she last? Roman Sionis, the infamous Black Mask, has been waiting for the day to finally pay back Harley's due. Can she navigate Gotham without her man? Meanwhile, Detective Renee Montoya has been building a case against Roman Sionis, and yet her ambitions put her in hot water, and she's struggling to find out how she can pin one of Gotham's crime lords without losing her job. Meanwhile, Dinah Lance has been promoted by Roman Sionis, 
What was once a singing gig is now a driving gig, and over time, she begins to see more and more who Roman Sionis really is. Meanwhile, Cassandra Kane has been thieving around, picking pockets like nobody's business. She lives in the same apartment building as Dinah Lance, and while they live completely different lives, Dinah worries that someday Cassandra might steal from someone she can never repay. Meanwhile, someone's already straight up killing Gotham's biggest crime lords. Renee Montoya wonders if the murders have anything to do with Roman Sionis, but she isn't sure. This aptly named Crossbow Killer has been on a rampage in Gotham, and everyone fears this wild card might be coming for them next. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn is rated R for strong violence and language throughout, and some sexual and drug material. A lot of the violence is hand-to-hand -hand combat, and when that's going on, it plays a lot like a John Wick film. However, there are other scenes where weapons are used that are quite shocking, to say the least. I think it would be appropriate to say I shuddered two or three times during certain scenes of grisly violence. The language is pervasive, and you're going to hear a fair amount of F-words, S-words, and all kinds. It's all over the place. The sexual material is handled respectfully, even if at times it can be, again, rather shocking. Despite the narrative's implications, it's clear no actors were ever put into a purposefully compromising position. However, there are abstract, artistic depictions of nudity in the film. And the drug material is because Harley Quinn gets borderline blackout drunk at some point, and other characters engage in mind-altering substances. It's not nearly as pervasive as the violence or the language, but it's there. Now before we head into our Birds of Prey discussion, I wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or a thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you can select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss in the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. So because of the way just things are as far as internet film discourse goes, there are two things that we have to like clarify up front, which is whether or not we are familiar with the DC Extended Universe or, and or Disney shills paid to give paid to give DC films bad reviews, and whether or not we are familiar with the characters. Because how it usually is is if you ever criticize any movie with a known property and specifically comic book characters. You know, you get you get a million replies going. Well, did you read this comic? Did you see this cartoon? Are you familiar? So, Melvin, are you somebody who's familiar with the specifically the DC Extended Universe? Do you like the films? Do you hate them? Also, are you familiar at all with any of the characters in this movie? I've seen all of the DC movies. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I've missed anything. But what what matters is whether or not they're good, <laughs> and they're just they're just not. They're fun. I mean, okay, so I, I enjoyed Wonder Woman, but it's kind of a forgettable film. Shazam was 
pretty fun. I think that one's my favorite of these in general. Aquaman is just Martin Scorsese's favorite movie. It is a <laughs> roller coaster ride, and that doesn't mean it's a good roller coaster ride, but it is a ride. But but then you have things like BBS, which were supposed to like set this all up, and it's so bad. It's so bad. I remember laughing in the theater at like just some of the choices that were made, especially towards the end with Amy Adams tossing the scepter into the water just so that she can go back and drown, (laughs) even though she has no idea what the scepter is to begin with. And even looking at BVS and knowing that Zack Snyder was trying to adapt Final Crisis, which is just a terrible comic. I know there's like people who really enjoy it, but Final Crisis is what I would call pretentious. And I don't really like using that word. But it is. Oh, wow. I don't know why you would want to try and adapt that one of all things, because it's just a mess already in a comic. Melvin, we're like two minutes in the podcast. (laughs) Do not like alienate half our audience like at the game. The only thing that matters about Final Crisis, and this is not a spoiler because it's on the cover of the book and it's on the back of the book, is that Batman dies. But guess what? He's going to come back in like a couple volumes. But in between that, you're going to have some of the best runs because Dick Grayson plays Batman for a while and he has to raise Bruce Wayne's son. So that's great. (laughs) But that's the only good thing that has come out of Final Crisis. So trying to have that in in film is just a dumb, dumb choice. And to make that your temple film to start everything was so stupid. So that puts my entire perspective on the DCEU the DC movies in perspective Uh, as far as like this movie is concerned and knowing these characters. I mean, I know Harley Quinn. I think that's most people who know Harley Quinn, whether or not that's enough to get you to buy a theater ticket, who knows? But as far as the other characters are concerned, I really don't know. And I'm pretty sure like, as far as the birds of prey are, are concerned, their niche, even within, within comic book fans and, and comic book culture. So at least I would think so. If Google's recommended advertisements are anything to be concerned, whenever they just give me like what comicbookmovie.com and it's just like, here's the birds of prey in case you didn't know, then <laughs> I can guess that like, okay, nobody knows who these people are. So yeah, that, that probably grounds this episode as far as previous knowledge is concerned. Yeah. I mean, speaking for myself, I've had a very viscerally strong love-hate relationship with all comic book movies at this point as i feel like all of society is where even if they make a movie about a character you like now you're just at a point where you're like i guess i gotta see that now you know i've probably mentioned this before on the podcast and i'm sorry if i have already talked about this before melvin but i have a deep love for batman i grew up watching batman with my grandfather that's one of the things he bonded over and he was a very important figure in my life i very specifically love Batman the Animated Series, which I, which was very formative in my childhood. I read a bunch of Batman comics, and I read, of course, the three that everyone has to read, which are you know Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, Year One, Killing Joke, and from there branched off into reading lots and lots of comics. And so it is out of that love that I grew very frustrated with the DC Extended Universe. I really love Superman as a character. I think if I disagree vehemently with everyone who thinks he's boring, so I was very disappointed with Man of Steel. And from there, Batman vs Superman and Suicide Squad. Don't worry, don't worry, we're going to get into Suicide Squad. And then from there, DC, which is very hit or miss for me. Like Justice League was terrible. I completely forgot about Justice League. Right. I, I actually just skipped over it now that I think about it. <laughs> which is nuts. And I think that really shows how poorly D- Warner Brothers has handled this franchise, where movies starring characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Black Panther 
are out like grossing movie starring literally some of the most famous characters in history, not just comic book characters, characters in history. You have a movie, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and it makes maybe 600 million worldwide. Meanwhile, like every Marvel movie coming out, like Captain Marvel uh, does a billion dollars, but a movie with like three, the three Holy Trinity of comic book characters doesn't do well. And the fact that you forgot about it, I think says a lot about where we're at with, with this franchise. So, but I want to make it clear to people, my frustration with these movies doesn't come out of some sort of Marvel bias or I just hate DC films for some reason. I was frustrated with them because I love these characters and I'm very passionate about them. And I'm specifically a huge fan of Harley Quinn. I really liked the new 52 take on Harley Quinn. I'm currently watching the Harley Quinn cartoon that's on DC streaming app. I am very interested in the character and not partially because the character is such a pop culture phenomenon, but she's a pop culture phenomenon in a very kind of odd way where her fan base is simultaneously 15 year old girls and like 40 year old dudes who buy like weird detail action (laughs) figures at GameStop, (laughs) which I can tell you because I worked at GameStop and we got a lot of very sweaty men buying like figures. So like, oh, no. which that to me, that, that to me like fascinates me because you have a character that is simultaneously supposed to be someone who's like female empowerment, but also is leered at in like just a, in some hands who is ever writing or in charge of the character, particularly Bruce Tim in recent years, for whatever reason is just a collection of different male fetishes. So it's like, Oh, this character is supposed to be empowering. This character is simple of mental health. This character is also just leered at. So because of that, I I just find the character very interesting. So I was very excited for this movie. And then as more things came out of the movie, I became worried. And then upon seeing it, I thought it was pretty good. I liked liked it a fair bit. I mean, this movie has a lot of problems, I think. I think it has a lot of basic structural issues. But overall, I really enjoyed it. But I mean, Melvin, what did did you think about it? Confession, I was expecting not to like this movie but i think i'm not the only one (laughs) when i really get down to it right i think there was just a lot of people who saw this like when you went to for the people who went to go see joker i mean one of the opening things was they were showing the dc logo and then like it turned pinky and turned into a balloon and then harley quinn shows up and hits it with like a hammer and you get this quick teaser for birds of prey and i think just the tonal difference of the two was just so stark (laughs) That from my perspective, whether or not someone enjoyed Joker, I think they just enjoyed that it was at least a quieter movie. So seeing the trailer for Birds of Prey, where it's just loud and bombastic and for the most part has a very similar tone to Suicide Squad. I think people were just like, I don't really want to see that. I only mentioned that because I think maybe that colored my experience because for the, I, I don't really think I had a good time seeing the movie. I remember laying in, so I say laying because like my AMC has recliner seats. <laughs> Usually we'd bring blankets too. So we are really lounging. You hate it so much. You just got every seat laid down on the floor and <laughs> yeah, just, waited for it to be over. Yeah, I just kind of laid there and just let the film pass over me in a way that was like, I just am not the storm. like a storm. Like I just got to get this over with. Um, Honestly, I feel that way with a lot of big, what is marketed as big popcorn pop culture films, popcorn culture films, mostly because I just, I know 
I don't know. I can't say that. I suspect that they're not going to really have much to offer for me. And that's kind of how like I left the theater too. Like the first thing I said to my wife was the best parts were PG-13 and it was it took too long to be enjoyable. What, what do you what do you mean by that when you say like the best parts are PG-13? So this film is rated R as you probably heard in the opening segments as as the film's described. But it's the sort of movie that's very clearly retroactively made rated R. I know Margot Robbie said like she pushed the film like initially as like we could make it rated R. And that was something that was kind of talked about post Joker's success. But it's very clear that the film was a PG-13 film with certain scenes reshot with an R rating. So one of the examples is in the trailer for the film, Harley Quinn is talking in a bar about how no one gives two S's about them. And in the film, the line is repeated, except they say F instead of S. Of course, I'm talking about curse words. And so there's very clear differences in how certain scenes were shot. In fact, there's a scene at the very end of the film um, that was entirely CG that, you know, two versions were shot. One where a character falls into water and one where a character does not. And it's so clear because the tone of the film isn't really for adults. There's a YouTuber that I like to watch for film critique. I, I'm not necessarily going to be recommending him because he, he does a lot of language, but he has some really good perspectives on film that help me to understand what is trying to be said in films a bit more clearly. And he he didn't feel like the movie was for adults, despite the F-bombs and the violence and gore. And he said the perfect target audience for this film would be between the ages of 12 and 13 years old. And apart from just that... <laughs> perspective being quite funny the film plays out like that there's just things and jokes that feel very preteen but then it's paired with certain things that were just a little shocking to me which if i was watching i watch horror movies i really like horror movies and and i think at times like the shock value is important but there's two different things going on like when i sit down to watch a horror movie i know i'm gonna see but when i sat down to watch this movie knowing that it was rated r like the tone of the film didn't prepare me for some of the things that took place and it, I, I don't know if I could find that frightening then I think a child could too and just to kind of close those thoughts out I, I think it's funny that a lot we I already made a joke about Martin Scorsese and Aquaman but some people on reviews are joking about how this film is so fun that Martin Scorsese must really like it or Martin Scorsese probably has some really interesting thoughts But my first thought, interestingly enough, was, man, Fred Rogers would hate this movie because he knows that people are going to bring their kids to see it. Now, maybe they're not because we're about to talk about the box office after all this. (laughs) But like the point being, it's a superhero film with a character that preteens really like and Daniel. (laughs) And so like, yeah. uh, And then, of course, Daniel mentioning the aforementioned 40 year old sweaty man. Yeah. So it's just. It's a film that really confuses me. And so when I say like the best parts are PG-13, it's spot on. I mean, the best parts really are PG-13. The The first part of the movie that got an audible laugh out of me, which was about 40 minutes in, is Harley Quinn is in a police station and she run and dives behind something while pe- people are shooting at her. But what she dives behind is a giant pallet of confiscated cocaine. And the second I saw her do that, I chuckled because they were shooting the cocaine and now puffs of cocaine are going into the air. And I'm like, well, she's got to breathe. <laughs> so I chuckled because I was like, good setup, good payoff. But then I kind of wished it became more cartoony at that point and tossed in some 
pows and bams like they do in the um adam adam west uh Batman. yeah what if she went to like a dream sequence fight scene at that point what if that was the dream sequence instead of the random dance number <laughs> i like that i like that dance number a lot for reasons i might get i might get into i like later. dance numbers but i didn't understand what it was trying to say it's just like really bizarre to me but that's that's just I mean, 40 minutes to get the first audible chuckle out of me in a film that's supposed to be comedy. I mean, I laugh three times in this movie. And if I'm going to go by Mark Kermode's laugh meter, which is if you laugh six times, it's a successful comedy. I laugh three times. So it's it's the film's not a comedy then. I don't know. Yeah. So clearly I enjoyed the movie more than you did. I will I will say that the movie does have a strange sort of like tonal problem. And I think a lot of it comes down to. Well, a couple of things, but one of them is the, the difficulty, I think, adapting this character in a medium that works for her. Believe it or not, this movie was toned down content wise from what is in even the cartoon, but also a lot of the comics that she's in. Because like comedic violence, which is something you see with the Joker a lot as well, doesn't always translate well to live action. Because like I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm going through Batman the Animated Series with my wife. And there's like a great episode written by Paul Dini where joker and harley quinn are setting up a mock funeral for the batman because they think he's dead and then the twist is that they're going to put the guy who who's allegedly killed batman in the coffin and then they kick him into like a vat of acid while harley quinn plays a kazoo plays amazing grace on a kazoo in a cartoon <laughs> like it, it's funny like it's funny in the scene especially the way the scene augments where joker's giving a eulogy and the eulogy just turns into this horrible tirade against this man that they're going to kill that is funny in a cartoon, in a live action, half of things they do would probably not translate well as comedy or at the various be very grim, dark comedy. And so like one of the running gags in a lot of Harley Quinn things is like her inadvertently causing mayhem and destruction to people. And when it's cartoon characters, that's easy to like absorb in live action. You're just like, it's harder to separate the fact that like her actions are affecting real tangible people where you can't help but think like, man, if I was that person, that'd be pretty horrible. That's a really interesting point too, because there's a scene in the film that one, one of the things that gets me disgusted, which is, can be used appropriately. Like if a film is making me disgusted and you're doing it for a good reason, then good. But there's a scene in this film where like a family is being terrorized and not by Harley Quinn. It's being terrorized by um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, of all people. Like, can you believe that, guys? I, <laughs> I just... old dark side. <laughs> I, I want to interject here for a second and say, Ewan McGregor is having the time of his life as Black Mask. He is... There is no scenery left in the building. He has chewed all of it up. And it is just... I thought his performance is glorious, so... Yeah, we talked about a Pattinson's, the Robert Pattinson's, and we're now getting also a McGregor-nessance or whatever. It's just great. <laughs> He's just in things again. Um, at least things that are pop culture, um, <laughs> if, if that Obi-Wan show ever takes off. But there's a scene where... Um, yeah, he's like terrorizing people. And what makes the scene more frightening is that you hear the audible f cries and pleas from the family. They have a kid. There's a kid there. Yeah, and there's a kid there too. And there's just... It's just a very different experience. Like, let me think. It there's a there's a film called Green Room, uh, where if uh, a oh, band. Man. This is this is like one heck of a comparison. <laughs> that is Green a Room is a, yeah, Green Room is a is a hard movie to watch. It, it's a good movie, but there's a scene in Green Room where a character gets injured, and the injury is quite grisly. But what makes the scene so frightening is that he's like weeping about it, <laughs> kind of like a normal person would. And that grounds it to become like, this is way more serious than it is. Like that's portraying a, a realistic aspect of the violence, which Green Room is, is all about that. 
having that in this film, like in a film that's kind of supposed to be fun and goofy, isn't taken seriously, its tone and message don't really line up with like having something that violent or frightening in it. It's really weird. And and that was an R-rated scene for sure. I I can already see how they cut they could have cut the scene to be PG-13, like probably cut some of the audio and then a particular shot from behind uh some characters, but I it's weird. It's a like you said, like in cartoon, I feel like it would balance better, but in cartoon, they probably just wouldn't call in any actors to perform as the people being attacked. They probably would just animate their eyes looking around wide. Like that's it. What you're describing this like tonal dissonance is Okay, let me just let me just go over what things I liked in the movie. I like I said I'm a fan of these characters, but I'm also I'm actually like a pretty large fan of most of the supporting cast. I when I was talking about Suicide Squad, one of the things I suggested was one of the things one of the issues I had with Suicide Squad is it had a weak villain in that it felt like someone was like, "Hey, listen, the, the squad, they got to save the world. There's got to be a world like threatening like event happening." And that's just not what the Suicide Squad is about. They're like a black ops team that's supposed to like be taking out like drug lords and leaders and like despots and things they shouldn't be taking on magical wizards i mean it doesn't even make sense why would you send captain boomerang killer croc and harley quinn to fight superman you know that's just a stupid idea i was like i was talking like they should have like a black mask kind of character like you should have some sort of crime lord that a black ops team would take out so seeing not only black mask this movie but ewan mcgregor's playing him i was excited i love victor zaz he is do you are you familiar with victor zaz yeah he's a really I like him as kind of, let me say it this way, putting him in the role of a supporting character as a supporting character for a villain is exactly where he needs to be. And that's yeah. where he does well, no exactly. matter what he's being written in. Right. He, 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 he occupies this horrible space for Batman's rogue gallery where he's just a bad, per like his superpower is he likes killing people. That is not a power. He could not hold up like a movie, a, a quirky serial killer. He's a serial killer with a gimmick. Uh, for those who do not know, Victor is as a character in the comics who views people as zombies. And when he kills them, he liberates, he thinks he's liberating them. And uh, he also takes their bodies and makes like a weird, like artwork out of them. Like he poses them like they're in like a family playing cards or eating dinner. And every time he kills someone, he makes a mark on his body. So his body's just covered in these like cut scars and he's, Saving one spot for the Batman when he kills him. <laughs> Good luck, Zaz. Uh, so, like, when I heard using the movie, I was excited. I like Huntress. I love Black Canary. Um, if you watch Arrow, you're probably familiar with a lot of these characters. So I was on board from get from the get-go. Apparently, I was one of 10 people who was very on board with this movie. <laughs> the D One of the issues the DCEU faces is they don't seem to believe in a little thing called establishing who characters are. They just hate it for some reason. Uh, Batman vs. Superman they bring in Batman and what they're expecting is they're hoping that the cultural iconography these characters will carry the, the movie that they don't need to explain who Batman is. You know who Batman is. The problem you run into is when you decide to take a hard left into creative, like experimentation where, Hey, you guys know Batman. Well, this one kills people. Yeah. Like <laughs> I could, so that's, stupid. you can have Batman show up in a movie. Like he's actually, he's really one suicide squad. He shows up and he captures Deadshot. Okay, like I know who Batman is, but if you're going to do something that creatively daring, I'm not even saying you can't make a Batman movie where he kills people. I'm just saying is if you're going to have a Batman movie where the scene where he's shooting people with machine guns, you got to at least have one scene where they go, man, sure is bad that Batman decided to use guns now, huh? Like something. And so you run into this weird, awkward thing where now we have a movie with like seven new characters and the movie like, okay, let me let me back up for a second. You mentioned you you mentioned like Harley Quinn as a character, where like 
she's just like the harley quinn movie has all these violent things in it that don't match this tone where like it looks like they're making a barbie movie but then there's scenes of like horrific violence in it i think that could potentially work if there was some attempt into like establishing the harley quinn character where they're like listen this is who harley is like this is her backstory this is like the thing she's come into so this is why she's so messed up and then because the movie very much is sort of a mirror of the character where it's bright and colorful but there's just insane stuff in it and then the movie is told by harley quinn she's the narrator but also because harley quinn is like a crazy person the movie has this weird non-linear structure where i think it works I think it's. I think if they edited it a little better, it would play better with most more audiences. But like, if I was telling you a story right now, Melvin, and I suddenly introduced Black Canary, you, I would need to take a second and go. Oh, by the way, here's who Black Canary is, and that's how the movie's told. Where Carly would be telling a story, she'll go, "Wait, wait, wait, let me tell you who this person is," and then they have additional flashbacks within a flashback. Which, for the perspective of you're listening to a story as told to you by somebody who's thrown a vat of acid by the joker okay that makes sense but as a viewing experience it could be very disorienting and i think that kind of kills some of the momentum of the movie and then when you're also pivoting to scenes where there's a dance sequence or harley quinn accidentally does cocaine or black mask is having victor's ass horrifically murder her family it's just this like up and down roller coaster where your i think your mileage of whether or not you enjoy it is going to vary greatly on whether or not you like these characters but because DC is weirdly anti-origin story a lot of the time, I think there's no attempt to sort of make the movie more inviting for people who might not have already be sold on all this stuff. It 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 feels like a like you walked into a hot topic and then someone blew up a grenade inside of it. And then that's just what you're viewing is like all these like teen angsty things. But this is the experience of watching the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're kind of having to figure out why anyone thought it was a good idea to put these tones together while also recognizing the the target audience. I just don't think it, I just think it falls apart in that sense. I do recognize that like Harley Quinn's character is that. And so you could all, you could have an argument saying the film is exemplifying that character. It really is. But like you said, I think then what we're having to fall back on is whether or not people know the character. And if you don't have the background for it, it doesn't work. And when the film is sort of simultaneously backhanding suicide squad, while also leaning on Suicide Squad to make sure you know the character. I don't know. It's really it's really bizarre. It, it really is a bizarre thing where Harley Quinn is a character who was extremely popular with all the girls in my high school who were wearing Nightmare Before Christmas shirts and would make me watch Rocky Horror Picture Show with them. And they are all like 16, 17, 15 years old. And the very thing that would maybe keep them from seeing the movie, which is the rating, is half of the reason they like the character. It's the same thing with like Deadpool, where Deadpool is a character who appeals more to younger audiences. When I'm a, I, I'm a youth leader and I work with kids at a psych hospital, when Deadpool came out, all of the 15, 16 year old kids at youth group would like wait till I was alone and be like, hey, man, do you see Deadpool? When I was at the psych hospital... 12 and 13 year olds were coming up to me and because i was being because when i started there they're like oh this is dan and you know oh he's like he likes movies all of the kids these are 12 and 13 year olds were asking me about deadpool they love deadpool 12 and 13 year olds should not be seeing deadpool for many 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 reasons but like it's that same sort of like and 40 year olds should not be seeing deadpool (laughs) for many 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 reasons yeah it is arguable (laughs) if anyone should see deadpool um but like that's what is so enticing, you know. Kids who are going on Xbox Live, it's the fourteen-year-olds calling me the N-word. Kids who are going on on YouTube and watching like <laughs> lots of YouTubers, they should not be. Those are they're young kids. The thing that attracts them to this stuff is the fact that it's 
risque and adult and i'm using quotations in the way that 15 year olds think adult means like saying bad words doing bad things you know having like nudity and sexual content in the movie like this is what 15 and 16 year olds think mature filmmaking is it's just like it's this weird it's this tough spot for these movies to be in where in in the context again of, of animation in whether it's hand-drawn or it's like animated like a cartoon that you're watching it's one thing for a character to blow up like let's say for the sake of like an orphanage or something as like a gag, like well, you, you see them do that in things like South Park or family guy or something that it does not fly in a live action movie. So like, what, what are they to do? Cause that, that R rated content is kind of what the 15 year old kids are attracted to. And especially when you get something like Harley Quinn, where part of the character is this, like a big thing is like this sense of like this person who is very, like who has been abused she's a victim she's as much a victim of the joker as anyone else but she has a sunny optimistic view of the world she's bubbly she loves animals she loves children she like one of the big things in the comics is this idea um have you read any of her comics by any chance none of hers in specific in fact i don't think i've read a single comic with her now that i think about it because i know she started in the animated series and then afterward was added maybe she was in some of the new 52 batman i read but i can't remember I, don't, I did not read anything of the Harley Rebirth, and, I, and I'm, I'm aware of the fact that the, and the DC Black Label that there's a Harley comic. Any of the Rebirth is not worth reading. I remember a lot of people <laughs> As were I've saying they really loved... Yeah, some people were like, Tom King, Batman, dude, it's like the best run we've had since forever. And that this is just after reading New 52. Oh, yeah, Scott Snyder's run is so good. Yeah, it's so good. And then like I open up Tom King, and I'm like, this is really bad. <laughs> like this oh, is, like I, I had purchased the first volume and I've since then not reread it probably will donate it to a library and I will not pick up any more either. Uh, <laughs> I know there's always the running rumor that they're going to somehow tie back uh, into the, um, you know, the original runs, but I mean, that's all, that's always, that's the DC way. You know, you, you blow up your continuity, start over, bring back the old continuity. So it'll go on until we're all dead. <laughs> but in the new fit, one of the things in new 52 Harley Quinn is like, okay, she, she wants to do good. But she's still Harley Quinn, so she doesn't have a grasp of what that means. So, like the best example I can give is an early issue. She is she goes back to being a therapist, and there's an old man who's like talking about how he's sad because his family never vis- visits him. So Harley's decision to fix this is to kidnap his family to force them to visit him. <laughs> and the punchline is, we visit him every day. He just like they just he just doesn't remember because he's old. And so like that's awesome. That's Harley Quinn to me. That. It, or the current cartoon that you can find on the DC streaming app, that's Harley Quinn, where it's like a character who is trying her best to do the right thing, but she is so wayward and so lost because she's been a bad guy for so long that she doesn't quite know what that means. And that's a difficult, I think that's a difficult character to to translate because I think there's also this cultural understanding of Harley Quinn because one of the things that people mention is like, oh, maybe Harley Quinn just isn't a character that can carry a movie. But I find that somewhat hard to believe because all the research I've done that I've looked into it, Harley is consistently in the top five. I've I've heard described as either the third or fourth pillar of DC Comics in terms of merchandise sales and just popularity among fans, where she is constantly selling merchandise. And like I don't know if you remember Suicide Squad, like the merchant the marketing for that. That marketing was overwhelming. I worked with them all the time. Every store I went into, there is merchandise, there's shirts and and uh, and like figures and pop figures, and most of it was Joker and Harley, Joker and Harley, Joker and Harley. But I also think that 
when it's kind of the same thing with like the Punisher, where people love the logo, they love what their own interpretation or idea of what the character is. And so like Harley is this character that a lot of people horribly misinterpret where like there's, I, I, I had coworkers and these are nurses. So these are educated people who are saying stuff like, oh man, I would, man, I, I want a relationship like Joker and Harley. And it's like Joker regularly beats Harley and basically almost murders her. Like people don't actually like understand this character. They love the idea of this character more than what the character actually does or represents or at all what their character is. And so I think there's this thing where like people have a very specific idea of who they think Harley Quinn should be based on what they've kind of gleaned from the general pop culture zeitgeist. And I think it's hard to market. Like how do you market a logo when you're trying to market a movie with a sentient character that says and does things? And then like, how do you translate whatever that is into like a movie because some people just want to see Harley viciously murder people because they just think she's just female Joker. Some people want to see Harley like being just a straight up good guy, which she is not. So I think all things considered, Margot Robbie's interpretation of the character is pretty darn good for what we can get in live action, where you have to sort of maintain this like anti-hero-ness of the character who is dangerous and unpredictable, but still has some sort of morality and heart to her, which I think this movie does a pretty good job of. I think just by having her have a pet that she cares for, I think that's a good, like, this the old, like, kick the cat, save the cat kind of thing in movies. I think having a kid bring out this, like, nurturing, caring side of her that she didn't even know she had. Because, like, for all my ragging in the movie, not really doing a lot to establish his character is, there's a whole opening sequence where they mention that her dad traded her for a six-pack of beer. Like, that's going to do something to a person. Like, I don't, like, I, I deal with people who are abandoned as children all the time at my job. And, like, seeing what that does to them psychologically, it makes sense that you have, like, a codependent personality thing with Joker, where like he's one of the first people to like really care for her and kind of accept her for who she is, but also give her this idea that she could be more. And then, but what that more is is something like horrible and sick. And so, like seeing her strike out on her own, like what do you do in that situation when your identity is so tied up with somebody to the point where you're like, people just assume you and him are one. Like the opening of this film, for those who do not know, is the basic idea is that Harley has been kicked to the curb by the Joker as so she's trying to figure out who she is on her own. And she gets caught up in a MacGuffin chase, but then like people find out she's not with Joker anymore. So all the people that have gripes against her for all the horrible things she's done decide to try and kill her. So it's like the warriors mixed with like rat race kind of, or it's a mad, 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 mad world kind of thing. So I think there's something there. I just don't, I just think the aesthetic is so off-putting to so many people who aren't into the character. I think it just it'll alienate them. I think there's like two things to get to do to kind of end on that. I think one, like all of that sounds great, but the tone of the film being like, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to you about how like the transition of like doing things in cartoon and doing things in live action just doesn't work. Like a lot of these, my gripes would be gone uh, if it was PG 13. And then the, cause you can do all of these crazy, violent, dumb things in PG 13 <laughs> without like traumatizing somebody. <laughs> and then the other thing too, is like your, your discussion on like icon stuff is really fascinating. This idea of like, you have an image, but not really an understanding of what they're supposed to be. And so you sort of build your own canon for it. And then when you finally like see what it is, it's like, oh, that's what it is. And it gets right. disorienting because everything you described sounds great. I would love to read that new 52 run. I think that would be really fun. But yeah, box office. This is basically this film did not do well in its opening weekend. It was initially projected to make. So the, the budget for the film is 83 million. That's not including marketing, but you can always suspect it's about 
an additional half of the total. So 83 divided by two, you're getting about 40. So the total cost is, let's do some math, carry things around. I haven't been math class in like uh, probably a decade. Uh, that's not, not a decade. That would be 14. <laughs> so there we go. That's the math for you. Making, making me feel old. But you're basically seeing the budget is about 110, 120 million. This movie was projected to make about 50 million domestic in its first weekend. Then new numbers came out and it was suspected to make about 45 million. So going down is not very good, but they can predict that based on, I don't know what, what hashtags on Twitter, stuff like that, all of the mentions, things like that. But then the film comes out and it's opening weekend domestic is 33 million. That is a significant difference. Now it's worldwide, which if you check on box office mojo is 79 million. That total 79 million is not necessarily going to the, the company that made the film. You can usually take out about 20% of that. And even so, that's still nowhere close to the $83, $84 million budget. This is a surprise because it's a superhero flick. It's a character people know. Daniel just mentioned how like Harley Quinn and Joker stuff sells like crazy. Harley Quinn in particular, considering she's in the film. Margot Robbie is a popular actor. Actually, some of the actors in this film are very popular. I mean, uh, one of my wife's takeaways, I had many takeaways in her one wife her one wife takeaway <laughs> was Ramona Flowers has a crossbow. And so it has actors people like. Yeah. But it just didn't make any money. And something to remember is like movies only make a lot a lot of their money in the first two weekends. By the time this episode's up, we're almost into our next weekend. And if it doesn't get its budget back, that's a big deal. So, Daniel, what do you what do you think is like some stuff that's that's causing this the fact that this big superhero flick that we've seen trailers for maybe for quite some time isn't doing well first off i think we'd be remiss not to mention that huntress is in my opinion the breakout character of the movie i love 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 loved mary elizabeth winstead's take on huntress you mean the crossbow killer <laughs> man here's my frustration with the idea of this movie not doing well is i actually would really like to see a movie about these birds of prey characters that were allegedly supposed to be the stars of the movie i liked all the characters coming out of it I, th there are so many factors i think go into why this movie did not do as well as projected i think i actually of, i'm of the opinion that saying it's a bomb is a little too far yeah i don't think it's a bomb at all yeah i, I completely agree with you on that i think part of it honestly is and I mean, we're as guilty as anybody. I think there is just a, a tendency to want to dogpile on movie, big movie failures, especially as far as DC is concerned, because it's just often it's very, very funny. But in this case, it's kind of sad because this is happening to like a smaller movie. But I think it is kind of like I think the head was cut off with a million little cuts here where but like I was reading articles that were listing as many as 10 and 12 reasons why the movie didn't do well. We're not going to go through like that. <laughs> Because, I mean, you could argue things like, well, what was the weather like that day? And to be fair, when I saw in theaters, there was a horrible storm. And when I bought my ticket, the person said, hey, just so you know, the power might go out. I was like, oh. <laughs> and she, the woman just goes, and like, we're not going to restart it where it like low and off. It'll just start wherever it starts again. <laughs> I was like, so you're telling me if the, it's out for 10 minutes, I just missed 10 minutes of the movie. And they're like, well, I mean, you can maybe come get a refund. But fortunately, it didn't go out. But like I was seeing some people blame things like, I mean, the Iowa caucus thing, it's probably direct <laughs> distracting people from going to the movies. And I was like, they have a fear of apps. <laughs> they have a fear of using an application to buy their ticket. <laughs> Which I mean, I'm not saying those things don't play into it. Like who knows why you didn't go to the movies that day. I bought tickets to a movie and then suddenly someone asked me to go out for dinner or something, you know, but like we can't go there and survey every single person asked them why they didn't go to the movies that day. However, I do think 
there are a couple big things universally that I can tie together and horribly hobble this movie. And I think first and foremost, and this this covers a couple things, the overall marketing for this movie, I thought was just terrible. Just terrible. Like the thing I was hearing from lots and lots of people after the first trailer came out, and I think we might have talked about it on the podcast, is just the trailer is bad. It was just it was a bad trailer. It didn't really explain what the movie was about at all. There, I think there's an arrogance to, to big studios, especially ones that have had successful big franchises, where as long as it's tangentially related to their franchise, as long as they throw a couple of characters in there, people will see it. But when you're dealing with a, like an R-rated film, one that people just like, because the thing with PG-13 big budget action movies is there's a pretty good chance that people just going to the movies that weekend will pick whatever the big PG-13 movie is because they just want to see like an action movie or something. With an R-rated film, especially with a character, as you've established, that can be as polarizing as Harley Quinn, you have to sell people on what the movie's about. Deadpool, for example, was rated R, and that had a marvelously wonderful, like incredible ad campaign. There were ads for it everywhere. They sold you on the character. They sold you on the tone. They up front your face are like this. You know, it, it did kind of cross over into this ain't your dad's comic book movie kind of territory for me a little bit. We're like, this is not, this isn't like those Avengers movies. We're going to say no, no words. But like they did a really great job of selling you on the Deadpool character. Um, Logan and Joker had great trailers, just like wonderful trailers that it, they said they established right at the gate. This is going to be a unique experience. This, yeah, this movie is going to be radar. It's going to be violent. It's going to be maybe disturbing in the case of a Joker, but it's because we're telling a particular type of story. It's because we have a t- particular type of experience that we're selling you on it. And then like, Suicide Squad was just like overwhelming. They had a curated soundtrack where they shot music videos for like the 21 Pilot song and all that stuff. They just did so much to sell the movie and they flooded every hot topic in GameStop and Newberry Comics with pops and t-shirts and whatever. Birds of Prey did not have that. I was talking to a good number of people and I, Melvin and I, we inhabit a lot of nerdy kind of spaces. I'm in multiple different uh, movie groups and comic book groups and stuff on Facebook and Reddit. I'm on, I'm all over film Twitter. I follow a bunch of Instagram accounts. People I know who were like fan, like I know people who like hashtag Rick Snyder cut didn't know this movie was coming out this weekend. They just didn't know, which is wild to me as somebody who like feverishly follows like the trades and stuff. But there are people who just didn't even know the movie was coming out. And then there are people I was talking to who were like, they weren't even sure if this was a sequel to the DC movies or something because it just, I don't know. The, for me, the marketing was just laid flat. There wasn't a big advertising push. There wasn't a big merchandising push. There weren't like tie-ins with fast food restaurants. Nothing I saw really did that. And then the advertising there was just didn't really sell you on anything. They were just hoping that the name Harley Quinn would be enough to sell it on, sell you on it. And then it sort of ties into this title, Birds of Prey, parentheses, and the, what was it? And the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn or something like that? Yep, I'm looking at it right now. At least that was the title. <laughs> First off, what is that title? What are you doing? Like, nobody is going to squint their eyes to see a scribbled on title on, on a poster. Second, who are the birds of prey? I, I'm i a fan of comics. I've established I'm a fan of comics and all this stuff. I'm not a particularly big birds of prey fan. I don't know if I've really read anything that really focused on them particularly. I know they have had their own comics line and stuff like that. But birds of prey, birds of prey, that's not a thing. Can you imagine if there's like people who, who remember that early 2000s show, birds of prey? <laughs> <laughs> they're thinking back to that. Wow, they're bringing back birds of prey. It's just like when they brought back chips. <laughs> they're in... 
the Arrowverse <laughs> Crisis and Infinite crossover for 30 seconds. <laughs> this is were the they? franchise. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> they were. I'm, they brought back the actress to play Huntress and they brought back the actress to play Oracle to, to have a voiceover. <laughs> I was pumped for that. I legitimately, when they announced that, I was like, sick. And then if you watch if Christ and Infinite Earths, they're one of the Earths that just gets wiped out in like the opening of an episode. <laughs> R.I.P. I can I can rag on That's DCU. Awesome. I can rag on the Arrowverse all I want. Crisis and Infinite Earths was a massive triumph of just being one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh my gosh, Lucifer, Batman 89, Batman 66, Birds of Prey. Um, the, the Flash from the DCEU showed up. It was That's just right. crazy. It's that's right. It was nuts. And as um somebody who my wife grew up watching Smallville, uh, we both teared up watching the little Smallville situation. Um, I'm not gonna spoil it. I know it was controversial, but the, what they did with Smallville, I thought was beautiful. Anywho, point is, Birds of Prey is not a title. Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Who is that for? <laughs> who is that title for? Because general audiences are gonna sit there and be like, I don't know what the Birds of Prey are. I don't know who the Birds of Prey are. What is that? And then for people who are actually fans of Birds of Prey, I see people say stuff like, this is stupid. Where's Oracle? This is stupid. Harley Quinn is not in the Birds of Prey. Uh, there are people complaining about the costumes, which I think is a dumb thing to complain about. I saw some person unironically on Reddit claim that this movie would have done better if Black Canary had been wearing fishnets and if Harley Quinn was wearing her corset from the Arkham games. Gross. And if you want to understand what nerd like fandoms are like, there you go. So, But like that's the type of like, dumb nerdy thing that people apparently won't go see a movie for so there you are that's why men sometimes i don't know anyway why men (laughs) (laughs) cinematic doctrine is now a man hating podcast (laughs) it's it's just hosted by two men (laughs) i don't hate men i don't like (laughs) men that say things like that and i will that's a hill i guess i'll be crucified for i don't think you should be rating women on that scale i'm sorry you're absolutely correct you're absolutely correct (laughs) Especially as Christians, as like yeah, okay, yeah, but they've apparently changed the title, sort of. Yeah, I saw this. This I my my routine bathroom break uh, right after I wake up because I eat way too much cheese, so everything I eat goes to the next day in the morning. And I'm looking on the uh, Google <laughs> Google recommended advertisements, <laughs> and and the Google recommended advertisement that I got was Birds of Prey has name change to Harley Quinn colon birds of prey that's so <laughs> stupid i'm sorry it should just be harley quinn and the birds of prey yeah harley quinn versus the birds of prey something because the birds of prey really aren't that large a portion of this film this is a harley quinn movie i don't know why they aren't the birds of prey until the last <laughs> <Yeah>. five minutes <laughs> like or I, why didn't they just call it harley quinn i don't know i don't understand i don't know if Black Widow can get her own movie, if Ant-Man can get his own movie, you know, if all these fringe characters can get their own movie and probably be the sole title of the film, someone as massive as Harley Quinn can do that. And then, you know, have a Birds of Prey tease in there. Like, for Disney, for all their faults, understand marketing. And they understand marketing to a fan base where they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're doing, like, you know, this movie, like, about this, but rumor has it that in captain america civil war someone's been cast as black panther so like then like twitter and you know the internet can then do the rest of the marketing for you we're like hey did you hear that in the harley quinn movie they cast someone as cassandra kane in the comics cassandra kane becomes batgirl do you think she's gonna be batgirl you know oh renee montoya she's the question like there's all these things that like you can do instead they just like really coldly were like yeah so so we're making a birds of prey movie everyone's like okay that's dumb 
but it's like a Harley Quinn movie. <laughs> okay, that's weird. Yeah, the title is, I think, one of the most egregious things marketing-wise this film did. I don't understand why this was done. I don't think it's enough to sink a movie, but I do think when you're mixing it with, okay, the R rating already, that's going to cut out some of your ticket sales. Middle schoolers can't go see it. Other countries, you're going to have to at least re-edit the movie before you release it there, that kind of thing. But hey, if it's a properly marketed R-rated film where you're like, hey, listen, this is our Deadpool, this is our big female hero team up movie. You know, that's a like we're that's something we're legitimately going to get ahead of Marvel on here. They haven't had just an all female team up movie yet. You know, they could have done a lot of things with this. They could have leaned into the female empowerment angle. They could have leaned into like this ain't your dad's comic book movie and promised somebody people an interesting edgy experience. Instead, they did neither. They just marketed it as a bad DC film and then threw that rating on it and then they threw in a, a, just a horrible title on top of it i will i for me though i actually do like the title the original title i just think everything that you've said though about marketing and and surrounding stuff like that just doesn't that doesn't help the title (laughs) yes um because for me i think there's a quirk to the title i think if we're talking about so you were talking about you were talking about like the quirk of the film's tone jumping around which i i think could have been done well but it i feel like it wasn't done well and I think the film's title is kind of the same thing, too. I like the title that it's Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. I think that's really cute, but it doesn't work when nobody knows what this movie's <laughs> supposed to be. <laughs> See, I don't mind the title at all, I think. But from a marketing standpoint, I would not be the person who's, ha- who's tasked with trying to come up with like marketing. Because, I mean, that maybe that's why we got those horrible posters we got. Man, were those posters bad. I liked the posters, too. I don't like them. I like the one like with, where, like, Harley Quinn is looking up to the to left or right like she's confused. And then you had the birds of prey, like, around her, like, like birds. I thought that was really wonderful. But, like, it's fine. <laughs> I did. I remember when the poster came out and you'd see comments of people saying they didn't like it. And then there was the one rogue savior comment that's like, guys, you all complain about the blue orange. This doesn't have blue or orange. It's just great. (laughs) (laughs) And I I thought it was really cool. But again, it all came down to none of these things actually contributed to telling you what the movie's about. It was like one guy named the title. One guy made the poster. One guy did the trailer. None of them had any communication with each other. All they had was the script. (laughs) And, And that was it. I, I really don't have anything to add to that, though. I well, think you hit all of it. Like, I think there's one more big thing that killed this movie's opening weekend. Uh, First off, I, I have a theory. I have a theory that there's a certain number of strikes a movie can get before, especially as far as sequels go, that before it gets killed. Like, you could be a sequel to a bad movie, but if you have a good enough marketing campaign, I think that can overcome it. And I think you can have maybe bad trailers or traditional marketing, but as long as like fandom chatter is positive enough and can like do good enough word of mouth, I think that can overcome that. And like most movies can handle one or two of these hits. I think Birds of Prey hit this horrible thing where it was simultaneously did things that I think made the fandom upset. And there are certain things that you can never control over things that we're purposely not really talking about because I think they get overpowered the podcast, but there is always going to be people who think anytime women are, at the prominently display the movie, they're going to claim it's feminist, even though that's a very narrow, weird view to look at movies. But there you go. I think there's people who have like complaints on the level of these women aren't sexy enough. Wow, SJWs ruin movies, kind of stuff. And that that's just something you're always going to contend with. They're going to be there forever and ever. Amen. But like, if you can get mostly the fandom on board, you can maybe have some bad marketing. But like, all of that on top of the fact that this is unfortunately a sequel, spinoff, whatever, to Suicide Squad. Suicide <laughs> Squad is just 
just the worst. It is a disaster. I I wanted to rewatch it with my wife because my wife hadn't seen it. Uh, My wife, who is, as I mentioned, a huge Superman fan, swore off DC EU after Man of Steel because she didn't like it so much. She just stopped watching all the movies after (laughs) that. From the start. (laughs) You know, and I know some people like that movie, but I'm most of her criticisms are very valid. She just didn't like the characterization. She didn't like the fact that Superman didn't have any lines the whole movie. Very valid criticisms. But I was like, listen, like, you know, this is the Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad. I don't know how much is complaining. We got to watch it. And man, I rewatched it recently and it's so bad. It is just it is just a disjointed disaster movie. And it's interesting because it's the one of these movies that there are not people coming out of the woodwork defending. Batman vs Superman has its defenders. And for honestly, I would say arguably for some for some good reasons. Batman vs Superman, as much as I don't like it, that felt like a movie made by a person. There was someone who sat down and said, this is my vision for this movie. And I don't and I the guy on this podcast do not agree with that vision. I did not like it at all, but at least it was made by somebody who had an idea that was a film crafted by a filmmaker. As much as I may not have liked what came out, Suicide Squad is just an unwieldy mess of a movie that is just for nobody. I have no idea who that movie was for. I have no idea why it exists. Like we can sit here and talk about how like ratings and stuff can affect movies. I think one of the things that might have elevated the movie somewhat was if it at least had leaned into like the fact that it's a grimy movie about a bunch of horrible people and maybe had some sort of edgy content of some kind, like at least maybe like our level violence, but they had nothing. It just, there was nothing to it. It was just, I felt like I was just watching a bunch of like random cutscenes from like a bad Xbox game, like Xbox 360 game when every, every video game had to look like Gears of War. So everything looked like someone had walked into like the video game level and just thrown brown and gray everywhere. It felt like that There's dust everywhere. And you just, your lungs are just being just murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. Suicide Squad is the one movie that has this baggage where people didn't like that version of Joker. And I, I heard a lot of people coming out saying, I heard a lot of people saying things like, Oh, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn was the one saving grace. I also heard an equal number of people say they did not like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. I can get that. I think some of it is to the fact the movie was reshot and reedited into like, <laughs> it's just a pure oblivion and an extremely long trailer yes it was edited into an extremely and, long trailer yeah which is horrible music stings overpowering it this is this this podcast is not about suicide squad um but <laughs> but like margot Robbie, her accent changed from scene to scene and that's not her fault necessarily that's the fault of the fact that she was kept getting brought back for reshoots and like didn't even know what part of the movie she was in basically half the time so i think the the fact it was connected to suicide squad just really soured a lot of people. And so as I'm sitting on social media these past couple of days, I'm seeing a lot of people in various groups and Twitter and stuff saying like, oh man, like Suicide Squad was so bad. And just all these people fervently being like, no, it's not like that at all. Please don't judge the movie based on that. Um, I saw the movie with another couple and they, I had to talk them into seeing this movie because they had, they were like, they agreed to see it. And then they watched Suicide Squad and they're like, dude, this is bad. And I was like, listen, I swear it's going to be different from that. And like, I saw like, like the wife, she, she like fell asleep during suicide squad. She like the first 30 minutes. And then, yeah, I think that really was the thing that that was the final albatross around this movie's neck. It's just uh, suicide squad is bad guys. It's just real bad. Yeah. Don't watch I just, it. It's it, terrible. It's so, it's just bad. It only exists to sell products. Like that is really <laughs> only existing to sell products. We say that a lot about movies, but suicide squad literally exists to sell products <laughs> everything about it is a hot topic advertisement <laughs> I'm, I'm here to say though birds of prey in a lot of ways is kind of the movie i was hoping suicide squad would be in a lot of ways as i mentioned i fan casted black mask as a villain of that movie but at the same time like suicide squad should not have been a, trying to fight an ancient 
witch and her brother who are trying to blow up the world, which, yes, that was the antagonist of that movie, if you don't remember. Uh, Birds of Prey is a movie that is a small ragtag group of people just trying to take on a local crime, crime lord, because that's just how Gotham is. That's one of the things I like about the movie is this movie just exists in Gotham. And this is a situation that can only exist in Gotham as is seen in the DCEU, where they're just apparently just a bunch of criminals everywhere trying to kill Harley Quinn because living in Gotham would just be horrible. It's funny that you say that, though, about it being like Gotham, just because my wife, uh, she was like, for this movie of all of the Batman or not bad, all of the Gotham setting movies she's ever seen, this was the least like Gotham. Despite the fact that it has crime lords that are from Gotham and all that stuff, she was like in comparison to something like Joker, where like when I'm watching Joker, every external scene feels like Gotham and every internal scene feels like Gotham. <laughs> this movie, Birds of Prey, felt like I was just kind of out in Philly. <laughs> like it was just normal Philly. <laughs> like nothing was, nothing's different here. <laughs> it's, I totally get that. I think a big thing is this is Gotham via daylight. Like most movies, every time you see Gotham, it's like, pitch back in the middle of the night batman is in the shadows stalking someone. sure that's part of it that's definitely part of it i mean joker has a fair amount of daylight but it's almost like everything's overcast um which fits the tone and yes. also todd phillips said he would cg some buildings into the background of scenes in joker to make it feel more oppressive to live in gotham so even if the sun was out you really didn't get it but then like in this movie i don't know it just looked like philly and then they go to amusement mile <laughs> and it looks like a video game and i was just really confused i mean the cgi from the arkham video games looks better than the cgi in basically any of these dc movies it's fascinating to me i gotta say i pop big for seeing amusement mile and then by black mask wearing the mask it really felt like i was just watching arkham origins which <laughs> yes it's an underrated right. game in my opinion don't at me it's some really good boss battles in arkham origins but the traveling <sighs> the is deathstroke just, the deathstroke it's just monotonous we should probably get into so we briefly briefly mentioned things like the more female perspective of the film which is things that i've I don't I can speak for myself, but I'm sure I can speak for the both of us that both of us really enjoy that the film had a good balance of like, well, not even balance. It just didn't have a male gaze. Yes. In this film. Yes, absolutely. Which was so nice. I mean, let's just compare Suicide Squad to this again. <laughs> Suicide Squad literally CG'd Margot Robbie's outfit to be slimmer and tighter. So you would see more of her body. Ugh which is disgusting. And even to, I mean, just picture this. That's not something you just have a computer do and move on. Someone literally had to go frame by frame, changing her outfit to show more skin. That's really disgusting. There was someone writing notes that probably said tighter, more skin and handing it off to someone like, right. And that's that gross. <laughs> that's just the grossest thing. That's like the most appropriate way you can write something that's so disgusting like that. <laughs> it's just, it's really evil. This movie doesn't have that. No. We just talked about how like the outfits were not skimpy. The outfits are not inappropriate. There's one scene that has like a corset and it's not revealing. And it's part of like a joke that like my wife laughed at um, because it's just a female thing that like you just get. That's something that's important, too. There's some really fun, relatable female humor. I mean, the first scene, Harley Quinn just breaks down into <laughs> tears after cutting her hair. And my wife just chuckled because she's like. I have had that experience where something bad happens and you think you're going to remake yourself. I'm going to cut my hair and then you cut it and then you miss it. <laughs> and you're like, no, I have to grow that back out. And so there's a lot of things like that, that I feel like by there being female writers and a female director at the helm and then female performers, 
that just work well. And all of those things are PG-13. <laughs> um, it just works better. I think those were really great things. Yeah. I think that makes the film good. But again, because it's rated R, there's a lot of things that can't be. There's just a wall to getting to these things that are good. And you have to just go, well, there's probably just a better female centric movie out there that's more relatable. When I stepped out of this, I th- sort of thought to myself, I was like, of all the movies, it's not making a lot of money, so it's hard to say it this way. But of all the movies to sort of be a tentpole woman centric film, this one just seems like the one that maybe we shouldn't put our, I don't know, bets on. But then I also know I'm a man. And so like what I say <laughs> actually is very different to what might be true. Right. There's some people who will say like, just because you're a man, that in- that shouldn't invalidate your opinion. But there are a lot of things that after being married, I have changed my opinion on and have become much more insightful about because right. I've talked to my wife, a woman. <laughs> so, And I'm sure when I have a daughter, Lord willing, that will happen again. So I don't know. What, uh, what did you think? Were you happy that there was just not yeah. disgusting camera angles of women in this film? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the fun games with the DC Extended Universe is seeing the difference of how the different directors handle the same characters. The difference between Patty Jenkins shooting Wonder Woman and Zack Snyder shooting Wonder Woman is noticeable. And man, oh man, the difference between David Ayer shooting Harley Quinn and Kathy Ann shooting Harley Quinn. There's a scene in Suicide Squad that exists only to show off Margot Robbie's butt. And it's become kind of infamous among my friend group because we all went to see it with like, we're all church, we're all like, people in ministry trained for ministry and we went and saw suicide squad together and we all like anyone who's seen suicide squad knows exactly the scene i'm talking about it's particularly egregious because it comes out of nowhere it's just clearly just edited into the movie because they wanted to have a shot in because it doesn't play into the plot it actually creates some continuity errors in the movie and it's just there and just sitting there and we all just kind of looked at each other and just shook our heads and i to be clear i'm not somebody who is against the idea of like showcasing women are beautiful or empowering women to be beautiful. But there is a huge difference between the way a man would portray that, particularly possibly a gross man at the behest of a studio versus just women shooting each other. One of the big things I noticed in this movie is the fact that women are never put on display. They're never put there to be ogled at by the audience. The lone scene where somebody is kind of in a, a compromising position in terms of like taking the clothes off is a scene where someone is being forced to strip tease the behest of Ewan McGregor's very unhinged black mask. And it's a scene where the tone of everything makes you uncomfortable. It's not overly revealing because you don't need to, because the fact this woman is so uncomfortable says everything that needs to be said in that scene. And it's played in a way where like you can tell that the director and writer and everyone involved had respect for the women in the movie and respect for the characters on screen. And I'm so glad that women got to handle a movie t- that the one of the running themes throughout the, throughout the movie. I mean, as much as I bagged on the subheading of the emancipation of one Harley Quinn, the idea of women being emancipated from horrible men is something that's throughout, like layered throughout the movie where you have Harley Quinn who is leaving the Joker. You have black Canary, who is trying to break off from Black Mask, who's just a horrible person. Um, you have Renee Montoya, who is being overlooked by her male bosses and coworkers. And exploited by her male coworkers. They, they, take, they take advantage of her. They take advantage of her hard work. They constantly belittle her. And like, these are not women. This isn't a movie where it's just like, aren't men bad? Fist pump. This is a movie where women are being mistreated, overlooked, abused, and taken advantage of by just the worst people and worst men imaginable. And 
this is again one of the things where and this is where i will definitely agree with like it's it's in some ways sad this movie's radar and i because i think it might block off some young girls from seeing this movie because I would love the idea that a girl watches this movie and then it plants ideas in her head of what is a toxic man in my life look like? If a man talks to me this way, this is bad. If a man touches me this way, it is bad. Like Black Mask is just the creepiest, skeeviest man you could ever imagine. And the idea that like, could a girl see this and be empowered to leave an abusive relationship? Could a girl see this and it gives her like, and she might look up on screen and see herself in a girl who is being forced to do things for a man that she doesn't want to. There's a great scene in this movie where Harley is like inebriated. She's clearly been out drinking and possibly doing other things. And then a guy is like attempting to kidnap her. And like, she, she's just saying, no, no, no. And the guy's not listening. And then Black Canary steps in and like beats up the guys. And like, man, like if you want to have a simple, and the movie, the scene doesn't beat you over head with it. And there isn't a later, there aren't tons of callbacks to how empowering that scene is. It just, they just play the scene. And like, I remember like my wife, my friend's wife and like a couple of the women in the audience were just nodding their heads in approval as that scene was happening. Cause girls, if you're out in the club or you're out at a party and you see a girl who's saying no, no. And she can't really talk about stuff. Like guys like feeling her up, do something. And men in the audience, please do that as well. Don't do that in the first place. But if you see that happening, please do something about it. But like, there's definitely, I definitely see, have seen movies that try to have similar scenes where they use sexual assault as like a plot device where they you know i spit on your grave type movies where they 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 try and justify basically exploit well it is exploitive yeah and where it's like they're they're using things like sexual assault they're using things like passed out women or they're using these types of tropes as an excuse to put nudity or lured content in their film and then claim later like oh you know this is a real thing to have they're just being realistic man this movie includes all kinds of stuff like that both in the dialogue and the subtext in the backstory of these characters and it's never there as an excuse to show some skin it's never there as an excuse to put something lurid or edgy in the movie it is these are acknowledged this is acknowledgments of this is the world that these characters live in and this is the world that we live in to an extent so like seeing the difference of sensitivity of women <laughs> making this movie about this thing and then like even little touches like you mentioned the the corset scene the scene that's gone viral is in the middle of a fight scene two women share a hair tie yeah i love that <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> it's perfect it is it is the exact thing that i would not think of if I was writing an action scene, I would not include, oh, but like the hair is long, it's probably in their face. We should throw in a hair tie or like the way this movie handles breakups or this way this movie handles people disagreeing and then making up after. Like, it's hard to fully like articulate this, but like you can see a woman's touch throughout the film and just how everything is played out and how the men are written and how the women are written. And I just find that very refreshing and not just because like, yay, women kind of thing, but just, man, I am so glad that this movie wasn't given to Michael Bay or something, uh, or, you know, you, that would be a horrible Nicholas Wending Refn. Oh my know? gosh. That would be even worse. <laughs> he already tried his women's yeah. empowerment movie and he completely <laughs> went the other direction. <laughs> it was, but wasn't it something uh, it's good soundtrack, yeah, it's, but everything else so bad. I will also say that one, one of the themes throughout the movie that I appreciated is like, there's a thing about like ownership where like black masks talk about black mask talks about how, Oh, like I Harley Quinn should be mine now that now that she's not with the Joker or like talk about how he owns black Canary and these things. And um, the idea that like, you don't own other people like these, like these men don't owe these own these women. And then in turn, these women don't owe their bodies or their talents to these men. Like I cannot tell you how many 
patients we get in in my hospital who like they're afraid to leave their spouses or they're afraid to leave abusive relationships and dynamics because they feel like they owe something to them or they're worried they'll get mad or they think because they have history that that like automatically necessitates that they return that they like have to return that in some way and like no no you don't like just because somebody you have history with somebody or just because somebody is powerful or just because they're can offer you things like money or like quote unquote take care of you that doesn't mean that you owe them really anything you don't owe them your body you don't owe them your future or your talents like if you want a good view of what a, a godly relationship is not like <laughs> look no further to any of the relationship dynamics in this movie um in terms of black mask v canary joker v harley quinn and so forth so renee montoya and her boss you know the only one that's probably fine is Huntress. Well, in a that way, your cool Wattpad or roleplay backstory. <laughs> I will say that, like, I mean, I guess this could be kind of a spoiler, but like the idea that because a character has a backstory, like the typical whole like cool assassin backstory, of course they would have no concept of like female buddies. You know, they have no. Con- I mean, or sorry, say like girls' night out kind of thing. They would have no concept of social skills. They have no concept <laughs> of jokes. It's the perfect joke. I love. I just loved it so much. So Yeah, and I usually don't like fish out of water trope, and I was really enjoying that. So if we ever do get a Birds <laughs> of Prey 2, but not really, maybe it'll just be called Birds of Prey. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be called? I would be glad to watch that. Moving on to, I guess, like our, our final talking point. Like the premise behind this this podcast, this particular episode, was that we would talk about the movie and they would each kind of bring our own talking point of something we thought was interesting in the movie. And... um one of the things we talked about is this movie stars a bad guy, an anti-hero, however you want to say it, stars a character that is not necessarily morally righteous or upstanding. Uh, and so I mean, like as Christians, people are just people, generally speaking, who don't think bad guys are good guys. What, like, what do we do with that? So, I mean, Melvin, do you do you sort of have any thoughts on on that idea? Uh, apart from this big balance between like things I didn't like and things I do like, uh, things that did work and things that didn't work, um, I whenever you watch a movie, you kind of always step away with like, what was the main purpose of this? What was what was the reason for this existing? And what is whoever's writing trying to say? And sometimes that includes things that they may not have been trying to say, but what the way they express it can say many other things. And I think it goes without saying that like this close to Joker's release there is a light comparison between two films that are about two, two characters that are very closely related, despite the fact that they're in completely different canons. And then also the fact that they're both villain films. We already talked about suicide squad, but th- I think this, this one's a little bit different because suicide squad means nothing. <laughs> There's nothing to, to be taken from it, but J- Joker has different things to say. And, and I wanted to, I, I just had some really interesting thoughts about like this idea of these two movies being about villains and then ultimately what are they trying to say in their tragedy or comedy or anything. Yeah, there, there's this really great review by user Allison M on Letterboxd who brings up a great point. Uh, in Joker's case, we are watching a man become the villain, a down and out character in Arthur Flagg who becomes ever increasingly tempted by evil as a bizarre form of personal justice. And while that film may be cynical, it's aware of a necessary sadness that unites with cynicism, as though to say, if this is the way I believe the world works, then what a horrible life we live. 
of course, it isn't the way the world works. We know that. Scripture is very clear that the world is not a tragedy, and it's not a tragedy that we need to view as a comedy just so we can get by. It's a world that was graciously gifted a savior in Jesus Christ. That's not to say Joker is free of any blame or, or criticism or is responsible. There is something a little defeatist about just being like the world is a tragedy and we're all just going to die. And so the best way to go about it is to just laugh because that's not true. Nobody likes laughing at misery. And if you do, then that's a very big problem. If you're spending your time on YouTube watching like people get injured or like uh, I think I've mentioned before in my podcast that there was a I had a friend who really liked um, watching brake test videos which are basically a compilation of people who are they're a truck driver and they're driving on the highway and someone pulls in front of them and then brakes so that the they, the truck hits them. And I remember him being like, Does, isn't that just like so dumb? Aren't those people so stupid? That's that's a disgusting thing to do. You're basically just laughing at uh, you're feeling good. You're building your ego about just something that's bad. And in a way, Joker kind of does that. Joker is like, the world is bad. Isn't that stupid? Isn't that bad? Let's just laugh at it because there's nothing else to do. That's really dumb. <laughs> really makes you think, huh? Yeah, it's, it's, that is we we sure do live in a society, don't we? Yeah. But I do think that there is a, a a very, I think there's a clear awareness of the sadness present in Joker, and I think that gives it some leeway on the way it's on what it's trying to say. It's almost as if to say, like, if there is an alternative, please tell me that. I, I really want to know what the alternative is. I don't think it's that clear because Joker also is, I mean, it is a very cynical film and it, that makes it very hard to watch. But I think that's there. Meanwhile, Birds of Prey begins its narrative with a woman who abuses people, steals, murders, overindulges, mind-altering drugs, and is all around unlikable apart from her irritatingly charismatic presentation. That's not to say that you can't like that she's, like part of being charismatic is that they attract you they're they're funny and they're they're interesting and they're whatever that doesn't mean you have to like them and i don't know if i particularly like harley quinn in that way it's sort of like johnny depp to captain sparrow kind of situation where like even though captain sparrow is sparrow is charismatic he's still like a womanizer who has has literal brain damage because he drank so much (laughs) like this is a guy that is funny in that we're glorifying something bad and that's not particularly a good thing i don't think now the the difference of course is that johnny depp's captain sparrow is not r-rated however there are some things that are a little dangerous in that respect but because of that we see much more because of the r-rating in birds of prey we see a lot more misery and in some respects raw examples of sinful activities Uh, are these portrayed in a mindful manner sure Nobody was drunk in reality. Nobody was actually high on cocaine in reality. Nobody was having the camera operator focus on their rear end. Even so, the film starts and ends with a nihilistic worldview paired alongside women's empowerment. Now, I know what I'm saying there. I mean, it's good that we just talked about women's empowerment. Like, it's good to be stepping free. But there is, through the flavor of the film, which is about people who break the law (laughs) and murder and are assassins and stuff like that and steal and litter. There, you're still combining a good thing, which is the emancipation from from bad men, no matter what kind, with a character that's going around and doing awful, terrible things. And I just, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Even if the film was well made, I don't know if I would particularly be happy 
with that comparison. Again, not at all against the women's empowerment stuff. I think my podcast speaks for itself on that matter. I have an episode talking about toxic masculinity, the good and righteous aspects of feminism, and even my own personal walk as my thoughts on film have changed dramatically after I married my wife and learned so much about the way she sees the world. I love that, but I'm not so sure I love Birds of Prey as a film of women's empowerment because of the flavor that it's taking. The fact that it is Harley Quinn, all of these bad people doing terrible things. I mean, at the end of the day, you're watching one group of not so bad people go up against some a group of incredibly bad people. <laughs> I'm not saying I want a film where you only have your primary hero be perfect, that's a pure flicks film. That's unrealistic. It's boring. It's dumb. <laughs> and it's, and it's just not the world we live in, but I think there's just something a little strange about someone who very willingly is doing bad things as opposed to someone struggling with bad things. And so I, a lot of that just makes me feel a little uncomfortable, but also I think uh, as a, and I think I'll lean back on it again, like as a man, maybe it is fine that a film is sort of taking the flavor of a group of ragtag beat em up villains going up against horrible men is just the kind of hyperbole we need right now. Because the reality is, is there are some incredibly terrible men. My wife was literally just driving home from work and was at a stoplight. And there were men in a truck that cat called her <laughs> like her windows were open because it was summer and she had to roll them up because these men were saying horribly nasty things about her. They can barely see my wife. They can probably just see her head. So it's like a talking head in a documentary. <laughs> Nothing inappropriate there. And they're making excuses to say terrible things to her. Not only that, there are just the two of us both know people that have had sexual advances to them, both men and women by men and probably women too. But the focus of this film is specifically men. And so maybe hyperbolizing that in a sort of character who's just, I'm going to break up with the Joker. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go into a police station and shoot beanbags at people. Like <laughs> maybe that's just what we need. But at the end of the day, I just think maybe the movie should have been a bit better <laughs> if that's what we need. Right. My, one of my thoughts coming out of the movie was just, this feels like a movie of the time. This is the type of hero that maybe a generation of girls needs Maybe, or like maybe this is the kind of like we'll take what we can get kind of situation. I don't know. Um, I mean, the, there is a question of just asking ourselves like, are we the target audience for this? Was this movie made for us? I mean, the movie was kind of made for me because I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the character. But like, yeah, are we the target audience? Should we? Maybe we should celebrate the small victories that we have in this movie. I don't know. I it does raise a good question of like, what do we do with a character that? admittedly does some very good things in the movie. You know, Harley Quinn rescues a girl from essentially being kidnapped and murdered. Um, but at the same time, like is unremorseful in the things that she does that are also very, very bad. And in fact, they play that kind of for comedy in the movie where there's, there's a montage of just different people coming out of the woodwork to murder her. Now that she's not with the Joker and they show the things that she's done to them. And there, admittedly, I thought the seems to be funny, but objectively the things that she does are, bad and like there's a there's a there, during a chase sequence people end up like dying while trying to you know get get to her but and there's also um the way she gets the hyena is particularly <laughs> particularly <laughs> offensive to me that, that, that that's it yeah she yeah it's it's it that that really sums up the sort of the weird duality of the character where she's illegally buying an animal but then she does kill the guy who is both a pervert and illegally selling animals well, so it doesn't stop there though because <laughs> remember it cuts back to it and there's 
particular direction that the, the actors were given that shows that she did something to get the hyena. At least that's, I've seen the movie once and you see the man resituating his pants. And so to me, I was like, man, like, is this the hero you want to have? Like, it just felt really, it continues to propagate this tone deaf nature of this film, which as a sequel to Suicide Squad, that makes complete sense. <laughs> it's it really captures the chaotic energy of the character in that one second you're like harley quinn is so great the next second you're like harley quinn's kind of dumb um i jack sparrow is a perfect comparison just for the character i mean we're putting aside kind of the theme of this particular section but she is a character that in my opinion works really great in doses harley quinn unfiltered for like two hours would have just been unbearable and i'm saying that as a fan she works i mean the, the movie lights up near the end when it's her and the birds of prey where she's they're bantering, they're talking to each other, and she's just making Harley Quinn psychoanalyzing them while like Huntress is just trying to be serious and like and she's you know, like passed out and she can't do anything, and that's why it works. <laughs> it's so it's someone so put great. a muzzle on her and she oh, that's yeah that's, that's great that's like but your... just like the little scene where like Harley's like they're like they're getting guns and weapons to fight bad guys and Harley is like trying to turn into a girl's night sleepover where they breach his hair and all the other characters just trying to keep her focused that stuff really works great for me it's when like there are some stretches of the film where it's just Harley where it's just like uh but then you see a great scene where she's trying to mentor this young kid and I'm like I wish more of the movie was kind of like this but is she a character that she should be rooting for? Is this and, and is this the type of story that we as Christians should be, or just general audiences should be like downloading to our brains? I think it all comes down to the question of like when you watch a movie and you're looking up at the screen and you're seeing characters acting out the scenes and you're you're just taking in like what do you see up there? I think when you watch a movie or read a book or, you know, and take, take in any sort of story. I think it's very normal for your, you to put yourself in the, in the role of protagonist. I think that's just kind of like human nature when you're taking in a story. And I'm of the opinion that I think there's a ton, just an immeasurable amount of value in learning something from the actions of others. And when you're watching a story about maybe not the best characters, I think there's something beautiful in both a being able to see the goodness in somebody else, even if it's somebody that you previously could not see that in. When you're watching a character like Harley Quinn, who was worked side by side with the Joker, and it's implied in this movie that that this is the this is a post-killing Jason Todd Joker. This is a Harley Quinn that has been unaccomplished to many, many horrible things. But then getting to see the glimmers of the person that she could be while she's acting as something of a mother to another character seeing the person that she could be when she's like help working side by side with heroic characters to take down a bad guy i think there's really something to be said by that for that and i think there's really great bit of value in that as both a viewer and as a consumer of stories now does this movie pull us off perfectly i don't think it does and but like i will say that for me just putting aside any moral quantities I might have, that's part of the charm of the movie. And I think, I think this movie is possibly destined for cult status and that it's a messy, imperfect movie with some really great highlights in it. But yeah, I think when you sit there and you watch a character who is making all of the wrong decisions, who is doing all of these horrible things, maybe seeing the redemption in them, I think should be inspiring to you. I think maybe you should look in that and see the potential for yourself. Maybe, maybe watching somebody make the mistakes that you yourself has ma have made, you can then internalize that and choose then to take that information and make the big better choices in that. I think stories in the way that we 
like and take them in the way that we filter them through like a christian worldview i don't think it's a one-to-one thing where okay if a character does good things then that makes this movie good or if a movie if a character does bad things and then they're punished for that and get their comeuppance that makes this movie good i think it's a little more complicated than that i don't always think that we can 100 percent with certainty understand what the filmmakers are trying to do with the story or if we can always see the intention of how we're supposed to read a character's actions there are certainly things that we can do and there's it's certainly clear when a movie is trying to pr- proposition a character as heroic or a proposition a character as being bad then we should boo and hiss at them but sometimes it's a little grayer than that and i think some in the case specifically in the case of superhero films because superheroes are if anything giant paragons of different virtues and like with superman he is like just ultimate good he does the best thing in that situation and whatever superman does it is typically that immediately codes it for the audience as the right thing to do batman a little grayer he is doing good things maybe not in the best way as he is often breaking the law and the things that he does regardless of how we view vigilante justice and so forth and then you have other characters that operate in the gray and then you have characters on the other end of the spectrum like punisher who is like Everything he does is horrible, but like occasionally it is because he's doing them against bad people that he's kind of like good via like the worst kind of way. But in doing that, he is standing in for a different type of virtue. Punisher represents like pure vigilante justice to his nth degree. While Captain America, like, you know, he represents like goodness through through like a filter of like American values and so forth. So then what does Harley Quinn represent as a character? What are the virtues that she as a perhaps a reluctant hero represents. And I think that this is where things get a little muddier. And this is where I think it falters, particularly because of its association with Suicide Squad, where because they haven't fully fleshed out Harley Quinn as a character and because they have like a cartoon, like hand wave of a backstory at the beginning of the movie, because it's a sequel to Suicide Squad, but they don't want it to be a sequel to Suicide Squad because no one liked that movie. Um, and clearly Margot Robbie is a, is a fan of the character. So I definitely get the impression that she has like read all the comics and watched all the movies and cartoons and stuff. So because of like, they don't necessarily flesh out the moral complexity of Harley Quinn. I think they, that's where the movie really, I think does a disservice to the character where traditionally she is a victim of abuse. She's a victim of a controlling relationship from a horrible man who's warped her sense of self and her warped her morals. I'm sure there are many people listening who can like relate to being in a toxic bad relationship and that changes your worldview and that changes how you view yourself that changes how you view right and wrong and how you view coping with that um there is a potential for a very empowering beautiful story of a somebody stepping out of the shadow and abuser but at the same time it also wants to be a goofy fun action movie and that in one way that tone that tonal discrepancy is the most Harley Quinn thing you could have possibly done with the movie where there's there. And there are some great little moments just seeing at the bar, she's talking to black Canary and she's talking about how people like her, you know, are sideshow acts and they get used up and thrown away. And it's a really sad moment where like all of that Harley Quinn facade is gone. And you just see Harleen Quinzel as she is like, like emotionally naked before this complete stranger. And I kind of wish there was more stuff like that in the movie where we could see someone struggling to understand themselves and doing it in the worst possible way but you see someone struggling and fighting against all the things that happened to them. I don't know. It's a sticky situation and it is a complex character who presents complex problems to its audience. And she just has these built in complex issues that maybe this movie wasn't quite ready to handle, but I think that messiness is maybe worth viewing in and of itself. I think that that's actually spot on. I think the question I pose and the answer you come up with, because that's, 
that's really what that just was now that I think about it is is good like it is good to sometimes watch characters that you might fundamentally disagree with but help you to understand where they're coming from I mean the idea that she's kind of trying to figure out where is her own individuality now that she's not finding personality in her boyfriend I mean that's the whole thing with uh in Parks and Recreation with Ann Perkins is that she pretty much takes on the qualities of whoever she dates and so there's like a three episode span where every scene she's introduced she's wearing a new gimmick and then there's a new boy (laughs) and it's just like oh she's wearing cowboy boots and then in the background you see a man wearing like a just a cowboy hat (laughs) sometimes like both that a man is subjecting a woman to become more like them And then the woman is having to struggle with keeping their own personality while also, you know, seeking a relationship with someone because a relationship with someone's a good thing. But that's just sort of the messiness of this age where some men overextend their personality and into basically wanting to date somebody that's just them. Right. (laughs) And then and then women who would like to have a relationship and all the men that there are out there are men who just want to date themselves instead. I love that my wife and I have similar personalities and interests. I mean, literally the last few months have been us just staying up and playing video games together. And then we talk about things while we're in lobbies and waiting. And so that's like just a great way we connect. But I also love different parts about my wife that are very different to myself. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't want her to be more like me because there's already one of me. And I don't think the world can handle another me (laughs) because I can't even handle one of me. I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, that's too much. (laughs) There's too many. (laughs) Yeah. I see the person I am and I'm just like, when would I date that guy? Yeah. Right. (laughs) In a way, Harley, Harley Quinn, Harley and Quinzel, Margot Robbie's version of this character is like very much a perfect example of that in that Joker literally remade her in his image. He pushed her into a vat of chemicals to make her look more like him. Yeah. And it's just like now she has to find out who she is underneath all that burned skin. And like different writers for the character do different things with that. The recent Harley Quinn cartoon uh, had kind of an interesting take on that where I don't know if I want to spoil the cartoon. It's an interesting take. Uh, Check it out if you're interested in the character. But like different people try and like do different things about the agency of her where it's kind of like okay, like how how willing was she to do that? Because some versions, Joker throws her in the vat. Other versions, she jumps in willingly, but to what extent is she willingly jumping in kind of thing? And then like in the, honestly, Paul Dini's original version of the character, she put on makeup, like she her skin wasn't bleached. She, it's makeup that she's putting on. It's the same thing. It, it's this, it's this functionally the same thing, it, but like she can, she can just take it off. But like the question that I would be interested in sequels exploring is how how much of her is a version of herself that Joker allowed her to become versus how much of her is a twisted version of herself that Joker made her into. But like, that might be a little too much. That might be too much complexity for a fun movie. Cause that sounds kind of like a depressing movie where a woman literally has another person's self burned into herself that she has to, that she can't shed, you know? I don't know. It's this is this is part of why I find the character so interesting because there's so many people out there who will look at Harley Quinn and they're like, "That's so cool. She's so fun," which she is. Harley Quinn. I I don't want them to sacrifice the fun quirkiness of the character on the altar of saying making a big message, but at the same time, there are so many uncomfortable layers to the character that some at some point you kind of have to peel back and deal with. But some of the audience like that ruins your you know relationship goals shirt with Joker and Harley on it if you do that. So. 
Birds of Prey is one of those movies that I think this could have been edited. If you edited this movie down 15 or 20 minutes or something, or just like edited, like just added a couple more scenes of just the characters hanging out and talking to each other. I think this would have improved the movie tenfold. Overall, I still like the movie. I think uh, for all the reasons I've given, I like the movie. I mean, again, like disclaimer, I'm saying this is somebody who is a giant fan of, uh, DC Comics in general, but I like Harley Quinn. I like Black Mask. I like Victor Zaz. I like specifically like the version of Huntress in this movie. Um, so for all those reasons, I was kind of predisposed a little bit to be a little lean on the movie. But I think as a quirky action movie that clearly is trying to pay homage to Tarantino a little bit. Also, we haven't mentioned this, but the second the guy who did the second year director was a stunt coordinator on John Wick. And they also had the guy who did fight choreography and John Wick working on this movie. The action scenes in this movie are excellent. The fight choreography is awesome. There's some fun usage of like the locations and props, like the beanbag gun sequence in the in the police station. I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I love the scene where they're fighting in Amusement Mile Funhouse, where they're using the Funhouse stuff, and you can see like Huntress is beast moding and like stabbing people, and then like Black Canary is doing martial arts, and Harley's doing her weird gymnastics fighting thing. All this stuff is great. So if you just want like a junky action movie with some quirky, weird characters, I think or something, if you, if any of the things we've said in this podcast make you kind of at least interested in the movie, I think it's worth the watch. And then part of me just hoping this movie has legs. I am hoping word of mouth and the fact that everyone decided, because almost the responses I'm seeing in this movie are fairly positive. Like people at the very least are saying it's better than Suicide Squad, but I'm seeing a ton of specifically on Twitter of people going like, please go see this movie. Like if you want to see more movies starring like female comic book characters, make this vote with your dollars. But I just think if you're if if you're a fan of DC Comics and you've been put off by the hit or missness, I think this is this one's more a hit than a miss. I think it's definitely not for everyone. If the idea of like a Lisa Frank painting that's been shot with bullet holes or in movie form doesn't appeal to you, if the idea of like a clown lady laughing at the fact that she's like broken someone's legs. But then, like later, is starting to be like semi-apologetic about it. Like if the tonal shift stuff doesn't appeal to you, um, if Margot Robbie's, if you hear Margot Robbie's voice of Harley Quinn, it makes you gag a little bit. Then yeah, this is not the movie for you. Because I know some people just burned out on that. So yeah, I think I think I might land on more miss than hit. I think the the fact that the movie's rated R and the scenes that make it rated R make it make it a pass. I think it's the sort of thing where. Um, if this becomes a film that helps producers to make more female centric movies, good. That's great. I I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing that comes from a bad thing. I just think the scenes that are more horrific are too horrific to be valuable, especially regarding the tone and the message of the film. I just don't think it's responsible enough or mature enough to handle those things. While I agree there's a fascination in Harley Quinn as far as a hyperbole of a woman coming out of a bad relationship and the the effects of that bad relationship and finding oneself in, in, in the world. I, j- I just think maybe this film again might just go too far in certain ways and doesn't have the responsibility to take care of it. And that's, that's a really dumb thing to say as someone who kind of thinks Joker is an okay movie, <laughs> because I know a lot of people say like Joker is just horribly in the uh, immature despite the fact that like it has some really great qualities in other areas. I think that just speaks to the importance of narrative. Like it does have some really cool scenes and it does have some really cool things to talk about, but a narrative is more than just a couple scenes. It's an entire project from beginning to end. And you kind of have to look at its whole to recognize its parts. 
And I think just it's I think if we get once upon a time, once upon a birds of prey, kind of like how we had once upon a Deadpool where it's a PG-13 cut, I would totally recommend watching that because I think the film is a PG-13 movie that has retroactively tossed in our scenes. And it, I just think it doesn't work. I just think it doesn't work. I think other than the language, it'd be pretty easy to re-edit for PG-13. Yeah, I think, well, I think they have scenes that were not F-words and they would be fine, but the language is the least of my worries. I, I don't think language is nearly as offensive as most people. I do think there is a question of like, <laughs> why why use the F word if you can use something else? Why why say F if you can say Frick? Well, because Sammy Classic Sonic fan has trademarked Frick. I can't <laughs> use it anymore. That's um, his IP. That's yeah. It's a highly <laughs> obscure reference. Recommending movies is a weird thing for me because whether or not you like a movie is very dependent upon each individual and what the things they like. Um because I'm sure like there's someone who hates your favorite movie out there. Trust me. I think based based on what we have said, I think most people by now have decided whether or not this movie's for them or not. If you're a fan of these characters, I think it's good. And I think if you're a fan of very offbeat, like action, or just genre movies that don't quite work for everyone, I think there might be something into it. But I do think this is a definitely an acquired taste kind of movie in terms of like, there are some people who are just kind of a very immediate negative reaction to everything in this movie, just from a stylistic standpoint. The couple I went with to see this movie along with my wife, this is one of my groomsmen. His wife literally had to look away from the screen during certain scenes because the there's a, like there's not a lot of like graphic violence in this movie, but when it does show up, they do I will say they do make it count. And what they do with it is like, especially what you talk about when you talk about the difference of tone, there are some scenes where like Harley Quinn shooting up a PlayStation with a gun that has glitter and goo in it. And then there's a scene where, where like Victor Zaz is viciously murdering someone. And so like that disparity might be, might be very off-putting for people. So if yeah, I, I say he, heed Melvin's warning, if you're sensitive to not just graphic violence, but gra- violence at the expense of like helpless individuals that can't do anything about it, especially when it's in service of a movie that, in a weird way it does feel like it doesn't need it because of this so much of the rest of the movie is so strange and quirky uh also i will say please do not take your children to see this movie yeah it is definitely it is i i when i saw both deadpool movies there were probably each time 15 to 20 kids in the audience so stupid which is so bad when i saw logan which is one of the most violent movies like i've ever seen just in terms of just like volume of people getting murdered like i've seen obviously movies are far more graphic than that but like Children should not see people get their arms hacked off by Wolverine. Children should not see 70% of the things in the Deadpool movies. And I think this this movie is not nearly as bad as either of those or like Joker. I think Joker is probably more graphic, uncomfortable violence in terms of tone. But like this movie just has such spikes of things in it that the children probably shouldn't see, particularly like language. Um, I mean, there, there are no sex scenes, which I was very pleasantly surprised by there's no nudity in the movie which i was surprised by ewan mcgregor's wall black mass wall that's right um provocative imagery that isn't real people it's 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 like abstract art it's like abstract art but it's it's pretty pretty inappropriate i didn't notice that until later when i was watching someone's review on like youtube and there was like clips of the movie and i was like oh like because i'm just sitting there and there's like a still image i didn't even notice but yeah that, that that is in the movie i'll give like a general recommendation for quirky action film fans who would not be bothered by these things i will say that both for moral and just general taste reasons this is definitely a movie that i think the p it this is the sort of the opinion of movie that the people that will like it will enthusiastically really enjoy it for a lot of things 
Uh, but then the people that don't like it, it's going to be like trying to convince somebody who doesn't like pineapples to eat pineapple or something. It's just not going to be for their palate. And if you're somebody who just doesn't like the DC like vibe, then I also don't think this movie might be for you. But also, please don't take your kids to see this movie because I, I was seeing people online that are like, my daughter loves Harley Quinn. Would she like this movie? No, she <laughs> won't. Like she won't. 50 replies just being like, no, <laughs> they will not like this movie. Please don't take like I see someone who's like my 10 year old wants to see this movie. And I was like, geez, man, don't do that. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, what did you think of it? Do you agree with Daniel that it's a fun romp or did you feel like its graphic content outweighs its value? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let me know in the comments below or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier. Thank you so much, Mom and Dad. You're the best. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.